Growing up in church, you probably have questions that you've thought of at times if you've been to church at all, and, but you just never necessarily, you know, searched that hard. You thought about it, but, you know, I mean, like if you grew up in my era, if you ask a question, you were probably going to be told, uh, look it up in the World Book Encyclopedia, you know. So it's just like, I don't want to work that hard or whatever. And, and, and so there'd be these questions sometimes that, that got answered to me as a kid in church, but other questions never really were answered. And one of those that, that I just didn't really know as a kid, it didn't bother me too much, but I was like, why do we have four Gospels? Why is it, isn't there just like one big, you know, compilation, like one thing of, uh, with all of this stuff in there? Why do we have four different books telling us about Jesus? And one of the things over the years that I've learned is that each of these gospels, and the word gospel just simply means good news. Each of these gospels tells us the good news about Jesus, but it tells us from a different perspective. Because each of the authors, as they wrote their gospels, they were all inspired by God to write truth, but also their own personalities and their own concerns kind of came through. And so the truth that they recorded uh, was, it was all true, but it, it had to do with the viewpoint they were looking at and what they were thinking about. And so it, it's just very interesting to see how they handle things. And, and the first part of it is the very beginning. How do we get to talking about Jesus? Let's start with Mark. Mark is the shortest gospel, 16 chapters. And if you read Mark, you might be out of breath before you know it. Because Mark's favorite word is the word immediately. He uses that word over and over and over. So he'll say, and Jesus went into such and such a town and he preached. And immediately Jesus went to Jerusalem. And immediately he loves the word immediately. You kind of get the, the feeling like he was a, a high energy, let's not, let's not wait around, let's not waste time kind of guy. And by the way, this Mark, this is John Mark, who, who uh, accompanied the apostle Paul, uh, in the book of Acts, if you remember that story. And then he kind of had a rough time. He kind of dropped out and, you know, what things weren't so good. But later on, uh, John Mark kept on going and he became very close to other apostles. And, and so he wrote uh, this gospel. And most people say it's a, a lot of Peter's perspective because John Mark ended up spending a lot of time with Peter. But it's, it's short, it's concise, it's this, 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 this. So when he starts the gospel, we don't hear about Jesus' birth in the book of Mark. You don't hear about Mary. You don't hear about Joseph. You don't hear about the angels. The first thing you know, it, it starts off as like, you know, Jesus Christ, the son of God, and boom, here's this prophet. And his name is John the Baptist. He's out in the wilderness and he's preaching repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Like he just, he just says, let's get to Jesus' ministry. And, and, and so we're going to talk about the guy who came right before him to tell everybody that the Messiah was finally coming. And that's how he handles it. There's, there's none of the Bethlehem and all that other stuff. Mark is just, let's get right into Jesus' adult ministry. When you move uh, to Matthew, Matthew says, now, come on, let's, come on, Mark. You know, <laughs> he says, let's, let's, let's think back. Let's get a little backstory. 
Any of you have a friend that you ask them a simple question and they start and they say, well, wait a minute, let me tell you, you know, and, and then you get about 10 minutes of backstory, maybe 15, and they finally get around to the answer. Uh, some of you are that friend. That's okay. All right, we need people like that. And Matthew was like that. And so you start off with Matthew and all of a sudden in the first chapter, you're like, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat. And, and he's, he's bringing it all the way back. And he's, he's showing how, how on Joseph's side of the family, how the lineage traces back. And, and then in Luke, you get a similar thing, but, but Luke, uh, and he's going to actually get kind of traced back Jesus' lineage through Mary, but he actually starts... Uh, with John the Baptist's parents telling the story about how he was born. So he tells us about John the Baptist. He gives us the backstory on John the Baptist. And, and we find out that his parents were very elderly and they had never had children and they didn't think they were going to have children. And one day when his dad was sitting there working in the temple, an angel appeared to him. Hey, you're blessed. You're going to have this kid. And he's like, going to have this kid, I'm drawing social security or whatever the equivalent was then. You know, I mean, he can't believe it. And so this Bible tells us about the fact that because he didn't believe that, that he ha can't speak at all until um, the baby is born. And so he has to like use this little scratch pad to write notes on. And finally, when it's time and John is born and because God's told him his name is going to be John and but everybody in the family is like, no, he should be named after his daddy. And then finally they say, well, what, what do you say about it? And he writes, his name is John. And boom, all of a sudden, imagine you've been trying to talk for nine months. And then now you finally get to. I mean, he wouldn't shut up at that point. He gets his, his ability to talk back. And John the Baptist becomes that forerunner for Jesus, that prophet who prepares the way, who tells everybody, Get right with the Lord. Repent of your sins because you need to be ready. You need to be in a place where you can hear the truth of the Messiah that's about to be coming. So we've had from Mark this zoom through and, and, and kind of even skip over the backstory. Let's just get into it to, to Mark, I mean to John and Luke who say, let's, let's go back a little bit. Let's talk about stuff that, that, that came before that. And then we come to John. And John was the last of the Gospels to be written. In fact, most Bible scholars think it was written significantly later than the first three Gospels. And, and John was the, uh, the apostle who lived the longest. And he says, you know, I kind of agree with you, Luke, and, and, and Matthew about kind of taking it back. He's like, but uh, y'all didn't take it back quite far enough. And he begins with words that no one who has ever read the Old Testament who's been in church would forget. He says, in the beginning. In the beginning. And both Jews and Christians alike, when we hear those words, in the beginning, we immediately want to say, God created the heavens and the earth. It takes us back to that time before time. When God, existing in eternity, chose to share the love that he had in himself with people who were made in his image, with created beings. And John says, yeah, we're going to take it back from there. But when he says, in the beginning, he says, in the beginning was the word. 
In the beginning was the Word. What is the Word? Writing at that time, the people of that age, they had different ideas about what that word, word, meant. Uh, It was in the Greek, it was called logos. L-O-G-O-S is how we would use it in English letters. Logos, what did that mean? For Jews, the word was not just something made up of, of different characters in the alphabet. But the word contained power and action. So when you talked about the word of God, you were talking about the power of God. Remember, in Genesis 1, it didn't say God got out a shovel or God started drawing up blueprints. He would simply speak, let there be light. And there was light. And in the Jewish mind, the word word or this word logos meant much more than just a a grammatical thing, a noun, verb, whatever. It meant the power of God on display. For For the Greeks at the time, that is the rest of the world who were dominated by Greek culture, even though the Roman Empire had taken over, the Greek mindset was still throughout the kingdom. And when they thought about word, they thought about wisdom. They thought about reason. And John uses both of these categories and pulls from them and says, listen, neither one of you had the full picture. The word is the power of God. And the word is also the wisdom of God. But what neither of you have understood until this point is the word is the person of God. One of the three persons of the Trinity. The word is Jesus Christ. He didn't just get born in Bethlehem one day. But the word existed eternally. And the Bible, both here and in many other places in the New Testament, tells us that everything that was made was made through him. That is, Jesus, although you do not see his name in chapter 1, you don't see, you know, J-E-S-U-S in Genesis 1, Jesus is all in and all through Genesis 1. Because as God spoke, it was through Jesus, through his word, that all of creation was carried out. And so John tells us, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, man, if you weren't a Christian and you start reading this, you're kind of like, huh? But I think you're probably like, I better keep reading to see what this is all about. How is the word both with God and is God? And that's what we as Christians know as the Trinity, that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are part all of God. And I want us to think about what John said here. He starts off with word. And his next emphasis is on witness. Jesus was the eternal word who was there with God in the beginning. And and that word was in creation. And the next thing John says that we need to know is there's a witness that's coming. There is a witness. There was a person who was not the word. They were not the Messiah. They were not the son of God. But they were the witness. They were there to herald the coming of the king, of the Messiah. And so he talks about the man that we know of as John the Baptist. Now, here's a cool little tidbit. 
in the Gospel of John, John the Baptist is never called John the Baptist. Did you know that? You, other Gospels will say John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. In the Gospel of John, John the Baptist just is called John. Because the Apostle John, so there's two different Johns here. The John who wrote this book, he never uses his own name. He's too modest. So the John he mentions is always John the Baptist. And he said, there's this man sent from God whose name was John. And he came as a witness to testify concerning that light. Because John had said there was a light coming into the world. And this light was the light of men. And... and the light, before the light had really came upon the scene. He said there was a witness that was going to testify. And, and throughout Scripture in the New Testament, you see that John the Baptist is asked, are you the Messiah? And he would always emphatically deny it. He'd say, no way. I'm not even worthy to tie his sandal strap. I'm not even worthy to, to do anything, to, don't have my name associated with the Messiah. I'm just the forerunner. I'm just the one telling about him coming. But plenty of people asked him because it had been hundreds of years since an authentic God-called, God-empowered prophet of God had come upon the scene. And so when the people see John, they're like, whoa, this is amazing. This must be Messiah. And he said, no, I'm so far below the Messiah. I, I, I'm just simply the guy who runs ahead of him and who says, hey, the king is coming. The king is coming. And so we go from the word of God, who is the light of all mankind, to a witness about John, who was not the light, but he witnessed to that light. And he told us that there was a true light coming into the world. Look at verses 9 to 11. They tell us this true light that was, gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And then here's what it tells us about Jesus. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So we hear about the word, the logos. The power and the wisdom of God in the person, the third person of the Trinity, Jesus. There he is. He was at the beginning. And now he is entering into humanity by taking on flesh and blood. He did not become less than God. He did set aside some privileges. But he just took on as well humanity. And that word, that the theological word is incarnation. We know uh, when you hear sometimes about people, quote unquote, getting in the flesh, acting ugly, that's carnal behavior, okay? And in that, that's one sense of flesh that has kind of, of a negative, sinful connotation. But there's also the word flesh that just means plain old flesh and blood, just, just humanity. And that's what, when the word incarnation means is that God entered into Humanity. He entered into our existence as a human being that got hungry and thirsty and tired and stressed and everything else that we feel and that we deal with. God took that on. The Almighty Creator comes down to the level of creation. And so here He is, this true light. He comes into the world. 
And then you see one of the saddest passages in all of Scripture. It says that he came into the world, but the world did not receive him. Wow. Even though the world was made through him, they did not. In fact, it says they did not recognize him. And then even more than that, the whole world, he said he came into his own. Even his own people. The nation of Israel that he had his own very special nation. Not because they were the only ones that were going to be saved. But they were special because they were his vehicle through which salvation would come to all the world. And they had been taught about a Messiah and prophesied. And they knew it was coming. And yet they, for the most part, did not receive him. It would almost be a comedy if it wasn't a tragedy. That a kind and loving God who created this world and made it perfect. That his creation would not only betray him by sinning against him, by rejecting his ways. That when this kind and loving God said, you know what, I'm not giving up on them. I've sent my angels, I've sent my prophets, and now I'm sending my son. And when God in heaven sends his son, the world still does not recognize him, not even his own people. Wow. But, but there's some light that gets through. That's the, that's the general story. But there's a good news ahead, a more specific story, because there are a few. There are a small number of people who will look beyond their own sinfulness and selfishness, and not because they're better than anybody else, but they simply happen to catch the message and listen to it. And so we get these powerful words in John um, 1, verses 12 and 13. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a father's will, but born of God. This verse tells us two very important things. Number one, it is possible because of what God has done through his son Jesus that as messed up as we are, as flawed and as sinful, rebellious as we all are at times as people, it is possible to enter into the kingdom of God, to enter into God's own family. And there is a very simple requirement, and that is to believe on Jesus, to believe in his name. He puts it this way, to all who received him. What does it mean to receive Christ or to accept him? The very next verse tells us that's the equivalent of believing on his name. However you want to talk about salvation and the Bible, while it uses belief and faith as the main words, it uses many other words to explain in different ways how we come to Christ. But whether you talk about accepting or receiving or any other word, it all comes down to believing. 
Not some big bad work that you do. Not that you go out and you make right every wrong you've ever done before you come to God. Not that you get good enough to come to him. But you simply receive a gift. The the worst of us can receive a gift. Christmas morning, you can receive a gift. We simply have to receive it by believing in his name. To believe in the name of Jesus is to believe in him as a person. That you believe his word, that you believe his message, that you believe that you can rely on him and you can count on him. Because what he's promised about eternal life is true. That he's paid the price for your sins, for mine. And that if we trust in him, that we can have everlasting life. But John wants to make sure, even as he paints the picture of, wow, even though most people won't receive this, don't ever think that there's somebody left out that God didn't want Because it says anybody who believes on him has the right to become a child of God. That is to enter God's family. But he wants to make sure we understand this is not because of us. Because we're awesome. It's not to give us credit. But it's to God who gets the credit. So he says this. He said it's not because of human will. Not because of some big decision that people said... We're going to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we're going to become children of God. It's not something that we think up or that we're smart enough to do or that we have enough willpower to do. He said, it's God's will that all this happens. And so God chose in his sovereignty for us to have an opportunity to enter. God gets the credit. He loved us first. He reached out to us as mankind. He sent his son, the word who was there in the beginning, who was part of creation, who was the light of the world. He sent him into this world. And on the way, he sent a witness. And that witness was John the Baptist. And he would testify. John the Baptist would say, the Messiah is coming. The light of the world is coming. The word became flesh is here. And the world, for the most part, said, no, we don't want any of that. We like things the way that they are. We, we like, you know, trusting in our own goodness. We like our own plans. We, we like our, our, our own stuff. And yet, God, through his graciousness, has put this message out there into the world, that Jesus is the light. And here's the cool thing about light. Did you know that light can't be blocked by darkness? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever walked into a completely dark room and, and you, you turned on your flashlight, or nowadays your phone, all right, and, and, and then all of a sudden you see some light and it goes, whoop, and it pushes back. And it's like, oh, this darkness is too strong. That didn't happen. When light and darkness come into contact, light always wins. And God tells us that 
no matter what we've done, no matter our past, no matter our heritage, no matter what's been done to us, no matter how dark we think we are, that our hearts are, are, are just a mess, if we ever think, but can God, I know, he, yeah, those are good people, but, but can he really work on me? And the answer is yes, that God's light is powerful enough to dispel whatever darkness there is in your life. And don't think this is a, some self-help thing where, oh, just like, well, I've lost weight and I've gotten, I've been to a better routine schedule and, and I've been working on my, my people skills. I guess I'll do this religion thing now and get good. It's not what it's about at all. It's not something that we will into existence, but it's a plan that God created before the earth began. He created us knowing, knowing what we would do. And he still loved us and created us anyway. Now you think about that. How many of us have thought about, whew, if I knew then what I know now, I wouldn't have, I, you know, and, and when we start talking about how our life would be so different, God didn't ha need hindsight because God had foresight. God knows all that ever has happened, all that is happening, and all that will happen. And he loved us enough that even though he knew that, like the Bible says, all we like sheep would turn astray, he knew we would rebel. He knew we'd disobey. And he said, you know what? I'm making them anyway, and I'm going to love them, and I'm going to make an opportunity. Lots of them are going to turn away that opportunity. See, if he was going on the percentages, he would have said, why bother? If it's a minority of people that are even going to listen and believe. But he said, you know what? Because some will believe, because some will receive me, I'm putting this out there. What's your response to the word? The wisdom and power of God, not just as forces out there, but in the person of Jesus Christ. God not only created you, but he knew so, he did so, knowing what you would do, knowing where you and I would falter and fail, and, and not just the mistakes we make, he, he knew the willful rebellion that we would commit acts against him. And he already had a plan for that. His name was Jesus. And that light, the Bible says, will never be overcome by the darkness. And so we all have a choice. Will I live in the darkness? Will I close my eyes to the reality of what God has done for me, continue to stick my head in the sand, or will I trust in Jesus who is sent to save me? And those of us who have made that, uh, we've simply believed and trusted. We also have a day-by-day -day decision. Will I wake up today, take up my cross? That means Take on all what God has called us to, go, to do, sacrificially living for him. Will I share that love with others so that others may see the light?
Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much that you sent your son Jesus into the world. Father, God, that you would, um, you would go through what you went through, knowing the pain. Father, knowing our hearts would be hard and stubborn, that we would fail you, that we would turn away so many times. And yet, God, because of your inexhaustible kindness, Lord, you made a way for us. Father, anybody who's right now wondering, they're concerned, they want you, but they don't know. Can it really happen? Father, remind them that your love is far greater than their sin. That you sent your son, the light of the world, to come down from heaven, to step into this very dark world. Father, because you love us so much. Lord, may we live our lives in light of that truth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When we think about the gospel of Jesus Christ, what he did for us, the part we stress at Christmas, that's awesome. Can't beat that. We all have nativity scenes, right? We think about this amazing Jesus born to a virgin. But we always have to remember that he was born for a purpose. He was born to die for us. He was born to give himself as a sacrifice for our sins. So how we respond to him is ultimately what makes all the difference in our lives. In this time, I just want you to respond to the Lord and whatever he's brought to your heart, whatever he's shown you, whatever he's, maybe somebody here, you don't know Jesus, you know about him, but you don't know him. Man, that'd be awesome if today was the day. <laughs> that God stirred your heart and you've believed in him. And if you're not there yet, I'd love to talk to you. Or anybody in this place would love to talk to you and, and tell you, help you get there. Maybe some of you have made that decision. You, you've received him, but you hadn't told anybody yet. And man, that'd be great for you to share that. And maybe God is just reminding you of that first love you had for him and and he's working in your heart to get you back to where you need to be. Whatever it is, you respond to him. If you need prayer, I'll be up here. If you have a, a public decision to make, would you please stand?